last week I was in Europe and um, I came home through New York, which is pretty uncommon for me. I usually come back to Minneapolis or Detroit. Um, but when we took off, we took off in the evening and as we, you know, just the direction of the runway, the way the takeoff was going, we, and I had a, had a window seat. And as we took off, I got this, this terrific view of downtown Manhattan and you could see the Christmas lights and you could see this just kind of the glow. And as I was sitting there on the plane, there was a number of things that came over my mind and, um, don't, don't misinterpret the words that I'm going to use here. I'm just going to go, just going to kind of go through what went through my mind, but, you know, the, the terms of kind of the, the brilliance of the lights. And it was almost this majestic, this mystical, this magical feeling. And what went through my mind was the fact that here we are in a, you know, New York, which is the the financial capital of the world. People, you know, have their own ideas. Man has his own way of doing things. And yet in the midst of all of that, with man trying to celebrate what they are celebrating, it just speaks of the glory and the adoration of our God. And, and so as I, as I thought on that on the way home, on that flight back to Kansas City, I, I, my mind went to is we're a week before Christmas, and I think it would be appropriate if we just talked a little bit about, about worship today, worship and adoration of God, especially as we come into this Christmas season. And so I want to start this morning in First uh, Chronicles 16, and I, I won't read the entire chapter. I'll just give a quick synopsis of us, but this is... This is the historical part of the kingdom of Israel when David was setting up and uniting the kingdom. Um, so he had brought he brought the tab the tabernacle. He brought the the um, the articles of worship that Moses had created. He brought them back to Jerusalem. They'd, they'd be returned from the Philistines. Um, he placed it in a tent um, that he had made specifically for the purpose. and And his purpose was to bring the people together to praise and worship God. Um, David had a lot of correction to do. I mean, it, the kingdom had kind of went south under Saul. It hadn't done well. And so David was bringing the people back together. And as I think about that, it must have been a terrific time or a tremendous time for the Hebrew people to see that symbol of God being put back into the center of their capital. Um, as I mentioned, the reign of Saul had ended badly. badly. The Philistines were victorious. They'd taken the altar. Now there was new leadership and things were, things were back to normal. Um, they had to be really excited about that. And But we see behind the scenes, though, that David was planning this, and he was doing it in a very specific way. He had brought the ark back. He had gathered the animals for sacrifice. He had called the people together. Um, it says that he gave them food, so he provided for them the necessities so they could be there to worship. Um, he arranged and organized the Levites again to lead that worship. And then he specifically, in the middle of that chapter, we find this psalm of praise that he wrote um, that was specific for this event. And so we get this picture here, this kind of endless praise that's going on in the city of Jerusalem. And in verses 8 through 16, um, we find that that the psalm David wrote is really filled with the praise of God. Um, that is mixed with reminders of what he's done. And then there's also these segments in there, these, these sort of little clips that give instruction of how to worship. Um, because David understood that, that this was a heart battle. He, the people needed to be trained. They needed to be called to a time of worship, and he did this not only by preparing the ceremony and making sure it happened, but he also showed the people what it was like. He demonstrated to them what it was like to worship God. Um, you know, so, so again, here, David couldn't just give the instruction. He, he needed to show them how. And I think that can be something we struggle with sometimes, as we can tell. I do this with my kids. I tell them, but if I don't show them how, sometimes they miss the point. It's just like it's a set of instructions, and so what? 
And we see that David took it beyond that. Um, David understood and knew here, when we look at this chapter, that God had to be the center. Otherwise, the kingdom was just going to end badly, just like Saul's did. So again, he orchestrated all this to teach the people to put God in the center of their focus. And so if we if we go from the kind of the beginning of the Bible from First Chronicles and we jump ahead to Revelation, what we find is we all of a sudden find that now it's not man orchestrating the, orchestrating the praise. It's being done in heaven. It's being orchestrated by God. And what we see there is this end, endless praise and worship of God who is the center of all of it. Um, so for context, um, if we go to Revelation 4, we, we find that John has just ris- seen the risen Christ. Um, he's been given instructions for the churches. And in Revelation 4, he sees this door opened and begins to describe something that no human's ever seen. In verses 2 and 3, we read this, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and there was and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne, and in sight like unto an emerald. And we see the elders in verse 4, the beasts in verses 6 through 9, they sit around the throne, and their complete attention is focused on God. And at the end of the chapter in verses 10 and 11, we see the 24 elders cast their crowns before God, and they fall down to worship him, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure they are and were created. And as we study these verses I don't know about you, but I can almost hear this chorus beginning to build, and you can hear the beast singing, holy, 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 which brings to my mind that 1826 hymn by uh, Heber, and we get this taste of what it might be like, um, but but how do you really describe what John saw? We sort of get this vision, or it's, it's kind of unclear, but we don't really see it, and as we move through this early portion of Revelation, we sort of see this crescendo of worship start to build. So, for example, in Revelation 1-6, there's this twofold praise. And by the time we get to Revelation 7, we start to see almost a sevenfold praise of, of God. So in Revelation 1-6, we, we read, And he hath made, made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In verse 11, we see, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. So it's, it's that, that praise has started to build. And in verse in chapter 5, verse 13, he said, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne. And in chapter 7, verse 12, um, we see the sevenfold of this praise where it just kind of reaches its crescendo. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And so we see this in a contrast today. Um and it's going to be so much different there. Even when we come together to pray here and we we worship our God or we in the Christmas programs that will happen in our churches as we come up, it's um, not not everything's going to go perfectly. And, and, you know, David tried to model this, but just when man's involved, it's not perfect. But it gives us that glimpse of what it's going to be like eternally, um, where everything will be centered around a holy and righteous God. And that 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 just gives me this feeling I want to go home sometimes. Um, I'm ready to see that. So when we think about this for ourselves from a practical standpoint, uh, we tend to get distracted. And, and maybe you're not like me, but um, so often I find myself trying to multitask and do mul- multiple things. And, you know, you're, you're sitting in your office at work and you got three or four people coming in and the phone's ringing and it's hard to kind of sort of back down. Um, and some do better at, at turning off the surroundings. But but I think we'll all admit that that can be an effort to really just back up and, and just just praise God and be focused on him. 
Um, and, and if we look at First Chronicles 16, it tells us at the end of that chapter that every man departed to his own house. So that praise and worship wasn't a sustained thing. It, it ended for a period of time. And I, I don't say this to shame us. We, we live in a broken world where sin continually oppresses us. We have realities here. We grieve and mourn and struggle through things. And then there are times that we have a lot of joy. Um, but we have to understand that we can't, we have to stop and put our focus on God because it's not going to happen naturally. Just like David had to teach the people, we have to put focus if we're going to stop and, and enjoy the majesty of God. And it, it's not easy to do. Just like we have Sunday set aside from us, we have to take time to set a time part to be with God as well. So, so today, um, as we think about it, I just want us to, to put our thoughts and our minds to that time when we'll come to a place where we will worship God eternally. Um, but I think today, as we kind of prepare for Christmas, let's let's take a few moments to just praise and worship our God. And I'll just end with um, Revelation seven twelve again, with that crescendo of worship that the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>